back to the war horse i am joined this episode by clark savage who is the author of a fine book that you all should pick up immediately called king of all things a guide to man's martial purpose hi andrew how are you i'm, I'm doing well thank you for asking how are you i'm very well i appreciate you um taking this request i i dm'd you or i found you somehow and uh i wanted to get you on for ob for reasons that will be obvious to most warhorse listeners um if they read the book but if being that they may may not have read the book um would you mind telling you know get, maybe we can get started by tell us a little about your book i can read the back as well you know and we can kind of intro it but this is a, in my opinion, this is a really special book, and it's, it's the kind of thing that probably nobody would have found, or written even like ten years ago. Um, so, how did you conceive of this, and and now that it's here, um, what is it? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for the compliment on the book. I really appreciate that, and. You know, I think ultimately it starts with a realization that there was something that's fundamental to being a man that is not discussed as much as it should be. And, you know, that is kind of what is the purpose, the physical, the, the uh, moral purpose of the man. And to me, in the end, it revolves around force and the ability to use force hopefully for a righteous purpose but ultimately it's about force and when you hear you know a lot of us are involved in a scene on the internet and on twitter where people are talking about politics people are talking about things that should be and but people weren't weren't really talking about war and, and the relationship of man individually to combat and force and i thought that maybe i have a contribution there so you know i took it up as a challenge really very good yeah you just speaking there reminded me of a distinction that you make in the book between that I've made before. And so I, I wanted to ask you about it between, and these are just terms. I mean, you understand that most of the listeners probably do, but the, the difference between say an MMA fighter or a soldier, somebody who could somehow like certify themselves as, you know, a martial tradesman, if you will. And, the fact that 
every man has the opportunity or maybe even the responsibility um, to take up this identity, uh, mantle, or what have you, uh, this aspect of himself and develop it, the warrior. Um, was that something that you always perceived or is that kind of something that arose from your, your research and your experience? You know, I would say that that the root of that thought that there's overlap, but a difference between as in your example, a mixed martial artist and a soldier or a warrior or a combatant. Uh, the root of that, I think, is the sport itself of combat sports. You know, in in my youth, I, I still try to get around and do some things, but in my youth, I was into boxing. Uh, and you learn right away that the sport evolves around rules, right? The, the yep. way you, the, the fighter's stance, it, it revolves around rules because as you can see, if you take a boxing stance in an MMA, MMA fight, what's going to happen? You're going to get taken down right away because you got that lead leg. If you, you know, in boxing, thumbing someone's eye is a, a foul. And why is it a foul? Because it's effective, right? So, right. So there's a difference between the sport evolves away always for safety purposes is going to evolve away from combat itself. And it's always going to be a simulation. So I think you get that from day one of boxing. And but for some reason, people don't talk about it. Uh, you know, I don't hear uh, if if it was commonplace to hear the points that I'm making in the book, I, I wouldn't have written the book, to be honest with you. Yeah. I just thought, you know, for listeners at this point, I would run through a couple. I won't read the entire table of contents, but I wanted to give people an idea of the, the breadth, like the variety of topics that, that you're dealing with here. Um, and you break the book up into one, two, for five chapters, not all the same size, but you, and as I recall, you do a big piece, like historical piece, which is very, I, it was, um, mostly all new to me and you build off of that to kind of weigh in on everything from, and what I should go back, you know, when I'm talking history, I mean, the ancients, you know, Mr. Savage is going over Homer, Heraclitus, um, combat versus survivalism and self-defense. He's weaving the, he's, I, it, stop me if I'm wrong, but you're sort of setting a table at the beginning, establishing a huge argument, and then you go into the particular sort of applications. Um, you do a big piece on strength and conditioning and sort of the body in general. And that's where, if I recall correctly, Dory Forrest. Um, right. Yeah. Right. He, spear, spear carrier. Right. And you sort of set out like an ideal physique, which is very interesting. And I'm sure for the Spurgs out there, when they, when they get a hold of this, you know, it, it will go on forever. But I thought you did a, 
I agreed, you know, with your conclusions entirely. And I thought it was well argued. Um, and then from there, you know, you get into a ton of different particulars and, you know, everything from firearms to, um, hunting the outdoors, wrestling, jujitsu, boxing. And then you sort of close out with, would you call it a more philosophical commentary? And, oh yeah, yeah, this was one of my favorite parts. Um, you do some profiles of, right. of individuals, um, most of which I, most of whom I think I was familiar with, but those were actually really moving. Um, so the structure of the book, did that emerge in the process of writing it? Uh, I know that it, yeah, it, I had the five, five broad sections figured out ahead yeah. of time, and and, and uh, it apparently worked because I think you just described it pretty well. You know, the first part is the purpose of it is to introduce the reader to the idea that what I'm about to tell you it should not be alien to you, right? This is in our background. This is in our heritage. This is including our recent American heritage. You know, I think that is my primary audience here, the young, either the father of American sons or the young American man himself. Yeah. So that none of this should be alien to you. This is, you know, this is what we are. And then from there, go into, okay, what can we do about this now if, if someone buys that initial argument? Yeah, it was a very solid structure. And you mentioned that I think we were chatting at one point and you'd, you'd kind of targeted, I mean, I'm a father. I think listeners know that very young sons. And this is a big piece of, you know, uh, laying my head down at night and thinking about my responsibilities, um, providing, I mean, navigating it, you know, navigating all of the other pressures, whether it's school or the internet and the phones and all of that piece technology. Um, it, I mean, I have, you know, friends and I go over this pretty regularly. It's a major, major issue. If you have sons in particular, um, you know, and it's concerning, it's like deeply concerning. It's a, <laughs> so I think that's why I really enjoyed the book and I found instant value in it. But I started out to try and make the point that you had identified um, this sector, this audience, that the man with a couple of sons who may need, um, may not need even, I mean, he may himself be very capable, but having something to refer to, you know, with your son in conversation to build out what is probably a decade or more of tutelage that the father is going to be sort of responsible for. Um, right. right. Was it, tell me about that. You know, you're thinking from you know, beginning. My, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I would say that, you know, overall, I'll be very honest in saying that I don't feel that my value here in the book is so much as providing a bunch of unique individual thoughts um, but instead 
if I have any talent here, the, the talent is mostly in compiling people that are better than me and being able to compile and then deliver that. So, you know, that's why the subtitle of the book is called A Guide. Yep. And the idea is I see it as being a bit of a reference manual that you could kind of go back to and refer to to, uh, you know, serve you when you're trying to, to ask yourself, you know, what should I be doing for my son? What should I be doing for myself? Um, since I do realize that force is a, a big part of being a man. Yeah. And I, in, in thinking about chatting with you, you know, I'm not the type who really wants to engage in a bunch of like nitpicky, um, commentary. I don't even have any, I mean, but putting out a book like this, were you concerned with some of the response? Cause I think you did a very um, fair assessment when you're, you know, comparing and contrasting. Did I lose you? Say, just as one example, the armed, you know, the guy who's armed with a knife versus the boxing. Um, he's he's facing a boxer or he's facing a wrestler. So, Clark, you you did not come down with any dogmatic definitive sort of conclusions you presented many many options um and i gotta imagine that was by design yeah i would say that there's almost always one more than one way to skin the cat and you know maybe i should touch on something that you mentioned earlier which is what you use the phrase ideal physique yes so even on that point, I, I think my response to that would be, you know, I do talk about uh, the po- polyclitus cannon, the, the statue, the spear carrier, Dory Foros, yes. and I do present that an argument for that, but, but ultimately the question is ideal for what, right? Everything has a purpose, right? If you were, if your goal was to, you know, run an ultra marathon. I, I don't know why someone would do that, but you know, there are people that are into that. And if that was your purpose, then your physique is going to be different than if your purpose is to, you know, set a deadlift record. You're going to have a different physique for that, right? right? So, uh, and even for matters of appearance, there's different perspectives on what the quote ideal physique is so what i tried to express is what did the greeks at their height come up with given the constraints of their technology and their their combat experience what did they come up with as the answer to the ideal warrior physique and they did come up with an answer and that's uh expressed through the canon and expressed through that particular statue so, and I make a point as to why I think that physique and that uh, build is probably universally useful. Um, but ultimately, that's an argument. And I think somebody could reasonably have a different view and maybe a different emphasis um, than I do. I, I do know for, for many 
they believe that uh, a modern soldier, for instance, should have much more uh, orientation on an emphasis on endurance and fitness than strength. You know, I disagree with that from my own experience, but it's definitely an argument that's, uh, to me, has no definitive answer. So, and I think the same thing applies across the board, even once you get out of fitness and you start talking about weapon skills, uh, start talking about what you should study and how. I think there are some reasonable differences. So, uh, I just don't think it serves anybody to act like any one person is the, you know, is delivering the tablets of Moses. Right. To people. I remember you made the point even about like uh, a lerp soldier in vietnam while he's probably humping a fair amount of weight um his body type could be much different than the guy who um just you know recently was operating mostly out of a humvee uh, you know carrying 18 magazines and you know, God knows how, how much, you know, water, armor, everything else. Um, so it, I guess, you know, that's consistent with, with what you're saying here is that the mission um, and the goal is, is going to be, is going to dictate that somewhat. I did feel like, um, I mean, Dory, Dory Foros, if, if that's how you say it, he was, he, I mean, in looking at the statue, you know, he, he's pretty balanced. I mean, he's not, he's not a monstrous guy, but it, you know, I, what I wanted to ask you when so far, have you gotten a lot of pushback on this sort of stuff? Cause it just seems like a very reasonable, um, you know, it's, it's a special book. Um, you know, this kind of thing would not necessarily be found at Barnes and Noble, not only the insight, but the point of view from which you're coming. Um, but in our spheres or otherwise, have you gotten much, much pushback at all? You know, I really haven't Good. on it. Um, I have some comments on that I've gotten on. Uh, a couple of guys thinking that I was not emphasizing grappling arts as much as I should, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I think I can take that criticism, but I think the reader can decide for himself uh, what, where his bang for the buck lies ultimately for, for if you're talking about doing something for years on end. Um, you know, on the point of that, you were talking about the long range uh, reconnaissance patrol Vietnam era trooper yep. there a and I do think that's a key point that you know a lot of people don't realize that and I saw this firsthand in you know Guat's global war on terrorism that you have sappy plates right so you got your front and back sappy plates you have your side sappy plates they're all fairly heavy you have a fair amount of, amount of electronics gear, including some of it attached to your rifle. 
you have your ammunition, you have your, you know, the flak itself, your, your helmet, you got any other, uh, your hydration source, you have, there's a lot of stuff that you're carrying, and a lot of it was not being carried in Vietnam. And then when you combine that with up-armored vehicles, you know, it's not uncommon to have rollovers of seven-ton trucks, of Humvees, whether you're talking about into, you know, canals or into, or even just in soft sand sometimes. Uh, and when you turn an up-armored vehicle and you got to get out through that door, that up-armored door itself is hundreds of pounds now. Wow. Right? If you were to try to pick that thing, yeah, it's hundreds of pounds. So now you're going to drag your buddy out who has all those things that I listed out of a burning vehicle, or you're going to drag you know, a buddy that's wounded out of a danger area. And you're talking about having to move some weights now. And and the weight that has to be moved is more than the weight that had to be moved in Vietnam between for whatever, you know, you could talk about that people are too big and fat nowadays. There's probably a lot of truth to that. But whatever the cause, the fact is, if you put someone in all their gear on a scale, they're going to be very heavy. You know, and you got to pull somebody through and you got to flip open an up armored door with one hand that th- these are not trivial tasks. So I do think that the modern soldier at least should be emphasizing strength maybe more than in the fairly recent past. And, you know, another point on the book is it's not all about organized military operations too. And I tried to use some examples about street fighting. You know, we, I think we saw a little bit of that in 2020. I think we saw it with Katrina, maybe a little bit more intense. Um, there's certainly been places in the country where there is street fighting happening, and we could definitely imagine it happening more in the future. And in that scenario, too, I think having a little bit of strength and bulk to you is a plus, right? Because you're not talking about doing a 15-round old-style boxing fight. It's going to be something a little bit different, and maybe that burst of power that you have from having a little more size and strength is going to be helpful for you yeah so the um the mystery grove publishing meme of um you need to be getting bigger you need to be putting on weight it's yeah (laughs) right yeah yeah and at the same time you have to balance it out right so and i use pull-ups as a a good example because i think that is a great tool for balancing it i think your running times are also a good tool for balancing it because when you you know, you get too chonky, the, your pull-ups go yeah. to shit. So it's a good gauge for where you're at. Yeah, you do a very fine job of throwing all of these questions of, um, well, considerations, all of these various things that you need to consider and you need to arrive at your, I think you're suggesting the individual needs to arrive at his own balance. Um, and you brought up, you know, where you kind of mentioned self-defense and for the for the potential reader and listener um that's a big piece of of the emphasis that i took away from your book is that this is not about kind of like soft.com where maybe you know you are very carefully preparing for um, a military career or mma.com you're very carefully preparing for a military career not that this book would not also apply there but I, I got the idea that you were 
you, you were foreseeing or, you know, and you've listened to the war horse. So, you know, where I stand, um, more potential conflict, um, in terms of sheer numbers in, in maybe in places where we wouldn't have expected it just a short time ago. What are your thoughts? Um, maybe right now and, you know, predictions, not necessarily, but um, it sounds like you think we're going to see more of this in the future. You know, I do think that that is a likelihood. I also think that trying to gauge that kind of thing and, and time it is kind of like trying to time, you know, the stock market and that you might have a good explanation for where things are going. Yeah, but it's impossible to know when. So, you know, I will say that in my military service, I did observe a civil war and, uh, you know, in Iraq. And there are certain triggers that I think are universally applicable. And the biggest one being not the size of people's grievances, but the degree to which law and order itself has collapsed. Because a lot of people have a beef. They might even have an angry beef. But it's not going to cascade into an avalanche until they realize that they can get away with it. Right? So it's kind of like a riot, but on a larger scale. Right? The riot begins when a group of people realize that, oh, you know, I could kind of run this stoplight. I can break this window and jump into the store and I'm probably going to get away with it. So it's that sense of law and order that is the key component that, that we don't want to talk about. Instead, we want to talk about grievances like, oh, look what the government did. I'm so angry about this or hatred for one group for another. A lot of people hate each other, but they don't devolve into open violence. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So you, you're saying that maybe an indicator that we could monitor is if we take any old group of miscreants and start to observe kind of the level of boldness the, the boundaries that they're testing. And when we see, um, say, very little response or no response, that may be a time to take closer note. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we just had an example. You know, this is off the top of my head, so I don't remember all the details, but I believe there was some kind of incident somewhere in the Midwest, wasn't there, where someone... Uh, a guy killed another guy, younger guy with his car. Oh, yeah. And it was supposedly politically motivated and that the victim was uh, a right-wing person and the perpetrator was, was uh, you know, some kind of variant of a commie. But the, I think those kind of cases are people want to talk about in terms of fanning the flames, which, which is fine. I mean, that, that, if that's what people want to do, it's just my emphasis is more on how does this get resolved? Yeah. Right. Does this get resolved in a way that encourages it? Because, you know, 
even with all the doom and gloom talk, the reality is that's relatively rare, right? That story that just happened is not, in fact, happening every day. Uh, and when it does happen now, it's getting picked up by right-wing sources and they're talking about it. But those are the things I think it makes sense to pay attention to of what happens to this guy, you know, and what happens following that. But it's still a relatively low level of violence. The other day I was looking at stats from crime stats from about 1980. And I'm not sure if it's testosterone or what the cause is, but murders are still down. You know, you could argue about the definition of crime and how they play numbers with it. But in the end, a body is a body, right? So if the body turns up, somebody killed him. So that's a murder. A little bit harder to fudge the murder stats than it is, you know, other types of crime. So I think they're a little bit more reliable. The and if you look at it, we had far more murders going on as a rate of the population in 1980 than today, even. Yeah, I've noticed this as well, and I, you may very well be onto something with the testosterone. I. It's probably one of these things with a lot of different various causes, but um, that's right. one thing I wanted to mention, you know, to the audience. Very likely they already follow you on Twitter. I hope it's all right that I throw your handle out there. Yeah. Um, Shameless plugs. Okay. Welcome. Well, you just. I will what, plug in. Okay. Twitter. Well, I appreciate it. But in terms of Twitter, like I'm, I'm still, I consider myself. I will always be new to Twitter. I came to it slow and it, it wasn't really anything I wanted to do. It was actually, you know, to try and get the word out on the book, but I found you along, you know, some point, um, you, you know, Mr. Savage stands out as uh, kind of a voice of sanity. Uh, somebody who you can, you know, maybe not rely on, that's not his job. That's not your job, you know, Mr. Savage to be reliable necessarily, but, um, you can rely on Mr. Savage for some reasonable commentary, some funny stuff too. You, you like to get into the humor, but, um, I would categorize you with guys like, uh, Quintus Curtis, um, who are not uh, afraid of, throwing a spicy opinion out. Um, but you're also not necessarily going to be swayed, you know, with a crowd or, or anything like that. So more people should, should check you out on Twitter. Cause there's some, uh, a lot of value there in a, in a, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, what, what is your secret you, you on Twitter? I mean, how do you maintain sanity? Are you a breathwork guy? Are you, um, yeah, you know, that's something that I've heard on Warhorse and I have not explored, but you've definitely intrigued Good. me on that, um, on the breathwork piece. But the, you know, on Twitter, I kind of see it as having a couple purposes, you know, one being uh, just entertainment. I, you know, there's. It's a good thing when you're you got some downtime. Sometimes you have some downtime from doing your what you do to put food on the table, and it's good to just jump on for a few minutes and then jump back off. So it's very plug and play, yeah. which I like. 
And then, you know, you get some information, you get some good information. I think you have to sift through some garbage to get there. But like a good example would be COVID. I think right away uh, you saw within the internet right, for lack of a better term, some good thoughts on COVID, what it was, what it meant for us. And then when the vaccine came, the same thing. Uh, You know, then what I'm just trying to do is just have some fun on there. And then also it has the same purpose as the book does, which is I think the youth are getting blasted with a bunch of bullshit. And I think they might benefit from hearing a different voice um, that, you know, I'm not always going to be right. Uh, Hopefully I'm right most of the time, but I will try to give the straight scoop because I didn't have that myself and had to kind of stumble around and waste time. And I think it's even worse today with the amount of voices chirping at them, you know, that are just blowing smoke up their ass. Absolutely. Um, you have mentioned, I think on, well, it must've been on Twitter, your interest. Um, I don't want to say obsession, but uh, Spengler seems to be a, a big touchstone for you and as if i recall you're you're back into him now right you you're returning yeah he's a big he's a big influence on you know the current project that i'm working on which is book number two which you know maybe we could touch on a little bit i'm a little bit superstitious about getting into projects you know you as an author may be similar can i interrupt you you don't want to talk about it too much I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, ahead. but I'm a hundred percent with you. So don't, yeah, don't go yeah. one step more if you don't want to, cause I don't, I'll, I'll just straight up tell my yeah. wife, no, you can't know you, you don't get to know anything, but please continue. Yeah. It, that's just it. There's a little bit of a process. It's also a little bit more my thoughts. Um, you know, there's definitely my thoughts in King of all things, but at the same time, I'm also trying to present people that I trust as being, better sources on things, whether they're long dead Greeks or whether they're, you know, Bill Starr or whether they're uh, guys that have seen a ton more action than I have. And, you know, you try to get some wisdom from those people. This book is going to be a little bit more my thoughts, um, but definitely Spangler is going to be very heavy in there as well. But, uh, you know, my interest in him really is that he, I read Decline of the West a long time ago, and I didn't understand it. Um, and the last couple of years, I've kind of trickled back into it. And then in the last year, and specifically, I've been reading everything that he wrote that I can get my hands on. Some of it's still in German, which is a problem. But uh, I find him to be endlessly useful um, in ways that, you don't get if you just read the wikipedia page on his broad yeah i agree i that's something um you can kind of it's not fully reliable and you never know what anybody's motivations are but um something i noticed in king of all things was exactly your choice of you know who to refer to um and sometimes as a reader or listener or what have you, you can, you can take it, you can take a gauge off of that. Like, I mean, for, I 
was thinking about this earlier and you have, um, I don't want, it's not a whole chapter, but it's a section at least devoted to um, Blood Meridian. Uh, if I recall correctly, you, you quote it right. and you, you're considering right. uh, that, which is, you know, there's, there's a, an example of good taste, if nothing else. So um, yeah, you, Bill Starr, that he was, he was not new to me, but um, it, it'd been since high school since, which is quite a few years for me since I'd, I thought of him. And um, the background you went into there, as well as with a couple of the fighters that you you detail, um, I got a lot out of it, you know. So you're hitting that, yeah, that oh, that target audience. I think um, another guy that you mentioned, I don't know if you want to talk about him, um, is our I think mutual friend, Mister James Lafond. Um, yeah, James is James is a good guy. So yeah. he is one where I try to make an effort to promote him. Probably, you know, I certainly try to plug my book. You know, I, I'll be honest about that. But at the same time, I do try to promote James. It's an absolute travesty that he's not more popular because he's incredibly useful. Uh, you saw... You know, one thing that I tried to do when I looked at people to who are good touchstones for someone to look to to get more knowledge. And a key point to me is the concept of repetitions, right? Because it's one thing to be, oh, you know, I went to a theater of war once and I spent X number of months or I went to a theater of war three times and you know i total this number of months that's different than a guy that like if you read storm of steel with ernst junger that you know this guy was in heat for four yeah. years and was and was shot you know on quite a few times and you know the guy has seen some shit so maybe you might not agree with him but you got to listen when someone has repetitions and James LaFond is another guy that's had repetitions. You know, this is a guy that, for your audience that doesn't know, uh, he's a very, you know, independent author. He writes uh, aggressively, meaning that he, what I mean by that is he publishes his thoughts. So you get a lot of sort of short blurb collections of blog posts. And then you'll get some longer form work. But, you know, he's got to have, well over 100 books, I would imagine, yep. at this point, written. But his basic background, if I have it right, is that he grew up in Baltimore, and he was a, what he calls a ghetto grocer. And he, I think, for partly for family reasons and partly for otherwise, he stayed working in the city at a time when being a white man in the city was becoming increasingly rare and dangerous. And he was riding public transportation. And you can imagine, you know, doing that for decades, going to his grocery store, that uh, the amount of confrontations he's had on the street of all kinds, uh, which he discusses in detail, and he's very analytical, very bright guy, 
that's a guy with repetitions, right? So this is a guy that we can learn from, universal concepts from, uh, because you can get distortions when the repetitions get to a low point, yep. right? So, uh, and I think Bill Starr's another one. That Bill Starr stuck out to me because uh, his book's out of print. Uh, the, he's got a couple books, actually, but the main book is called The Strongest Shall Survive. It uh, is an excellent out-of-print short book that is oriented towards making football players stronger, and it's applicable from the high school to the pro level. But the key is that he spent about 10 years working on this, coming up with a program that was easy to implement but worked by producing results on the field. I think it's useful because I think a lot of the things he was going for for a high school or college football player are just as applicable for us, meaning that we have other things that we need to be doing, right? So we're not going to be doing necessarily doing a six-day bodybuilding type split if you're also doing outdoors things, spending time with, you know, a girlfriend or family or, you know, fight training, all the other stuff that you got to do. It, it's you have to do something that's going to incorporate the ability to do that. And his program is designed around that. Thousands of kids were doing his program. He went all the way up to the pro ranks with the Baltimore Colts, I think it was, that he uh, was introduced his program with and they were the Super Bowl champions I think at the time and all the way down to you know thousands of high school programs got to test his system and it basically works so yeah maybe you have a better way to do it then great then keep doing that but if you're not sure what you're doing Bill Starr is a good source I think the same thing with James LaFont that you know if you're a guy that has to navigate a dangerous environment especially if it's an urban environment you know, he had a ton of encounters as a white man with black men that were uh, seeing him as a target. And the entire spectrum from the observation skills of how to know when something is about to happen all the way through what is useful in a street encounter of that type and what isn't and what is a waste of your time. He's got opinions on all that. And I think because of his repetitions, it's worth listening to him. Well said. Yeah. I would agree, hundred percent. He's a he's a very interesting guy. Um, I try and get the word out on him whenever I can. You know, you brought up Blood Meridian. Can we pivot a little bit and turn the tables and have me have me ask you a couple things about King of Dogs? Because there's a you know there, and I mean this in the most positive way. As you know, I love. Cormac McCarthy, but uh, King of All King of Dogs has a little bit of a little bit of that flavor in it, a, a little bit of the wasteland, the Western wasteland. Obviously, it's a modern story. His takes place, you know, what eighteen fifties or so. Uh, did you have an interest in Cormac McCarthy before you wrote King of Dogs? Yes, I was. I've been obsessed with. Um, McCarthy since about 2002 and I I would say I think it was actually McCarthy uh, who said the dirty secret is that books arise out of other books 
Um, you know, other people will right. say it's like who your, your, your value is really based out of who you choose to steal from. Um, the crossing from the border trilogy, which I think is the middle book was kind of, um, not a template, but a sort of touchstone or something like that. You know, it wasn't that I, I selected that necessarily. It was just, that's one of, that the blood meridian and the third book in the trilogy cities on the plane uh you know if you're gonna try and take a stab at doing something it just makes sense to well i mean i get i guess there's many ways of going about it but my approach was always to look to the masters and then um try and take everything that I could. And so I, with somebody like McCarthy with that style on uh, no, no quote marks, you know, limited, I mean, no commas for the most part. I think there's probably a handful of commas in the, right. in all 300 pages of blood Meridian. So I think that, it's it, for me it was an issue of like how how much can i take without being um mimicry you know without just being because you're going to be i mean you can't you can't be the king but you can learn a lot so i've tried very hard to find that sweet spot where um whether it's because there's a lot there i mean it's point of view it's philosophy it's um sentence construction it's even how like maybe you make life choices though i i definitely part ways with him there but yep yep he's a major influence i'd say uh, there's a handful of others that are maybe on par but he's certainly the main one and i i also got a sense of, I'm, maybe i'm way off base you could tell me but i got a sense that maybe there's some influence from some of the hard-boiled, you know, even though I wouldn't call it, you know, it's far removed from something like the Raymond Chandler 1950s L.A. detective story, but there's maybe a little bit of an energy there that I got of an influence from some of that genre. Yeah. No, um, you're dead on. And you're the first person, I think, that's pointed that out. I took a class many, many years ago um, in college where we read all of Chandler, all of Dashiell Hammett, um, McDonald. I think I'm missing one, but um, we read all of that stuff. And Jane, Which yeah, good. me too. Yeah. I've always loved that yeah, stuff. Um, you know, and James Elroy kind of, I don't, I don't actually enjoy his writing that much because it's just like overwhelming um, in its density. But the ones I've been able to get through, I, I, I admire it. And I think in film too, that's kind of my favorite. I don't know that I really have favorites, but very influential. Yeah. So you're right. Um, in some ways in trying to piece that, story together 
there's the um, internal conflict or kind of engine that's driving parts of King of Dogs. And um, I think that's rooted in that noir, hard-boiled bit. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. I definitely got some of that energy. The other thing that was interesting to me was, you know, I don't know anything about fiction, so this is just me talking, but the it seems to me that, you know, looking at it from the outside, that a fiction writer has got a choice to make, a, sort of an autobiographical choice to make as to whether they themselves are going to be in this right. thing, right? And when I look at Grayson, there's definitely, you know, without even knowing you, there's definitely some autobiographical energy in there. Yeah, there's this concept that a guy named David Milch, who is responsible for like NYPD Blue, the writer there, and then the writer on Deadwood and some a, a lot of other stuff. But um, he talks about in some of his lectures, um, which you can find online. And I think, I, I don't think much of it is in print yet, but he studied with a, some, a couple big, big names, but the biggest, um, Robert Penn Warren. So he spent like seven or eight years by Robert Penn Warren's side and basically writing textbooks and I, I presume just having long conversations about fiction and poetry and what all that means. It's, it's a little dark as to, I mean, there are these textbooks, but of course it's not like David Milch revealing what Robert Penn Warren was saying to him. But one of the things that he did reveal um, is kind of a technical idea but is also intuitive maybe um the and he called it turning the fanciful into fiction and this was the process of turning um past pain into like like the how did he term it um i don't know it, it's kind of academic -y, you know it's like the pastness of pain or something into future or present joy um and, and in that conversation, if you ever, if anybody listening takes an interest, um, he discusses what it, what it means to sort of find some meaningful thing in your own life and then transmute that into uh, something of value to other people. In this case, it'd be fiction. But um, there's, there's a lot of like small details and uh, some of that too is just like you write what you know um yeah right, right. so so which again because i don't know anything about the creative you know the creative process my book is more of a you know it, it's extremely non-fiction as you know so the did grayson come first did the plot come first did the setting come first or did it all come at once? Um, it's, it's, the truth is that without going into, because I know you have a time frame, um, 
it's a very good question. The truth is that like, it's not done yet in some sense. And that's the part that we can't necessarily go into, but I would say the setting probably came first. Um, Cause I lived the semi semi collapse in the West type. Yes. Semi- and I had lived in Moab. Um, maybe, maybe okay. a couple of years yeah. before I started the first draft. Yeah. So what was the, you know, I talked a little bit about at the beginning about why, you know, why King of all things. So I'd ask you the same thing. Like I, I, what was your, was it sort of just an artistic expression or did you, sit down and said, you know what, I got to get this together and I'm going to write this and here is my purpose. Yeah, it was definitely the second one. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily go, and this is kind of one of those things where you stumble across it in life where, how do you say, like certain novelists will say like, I wasn't really fit to do anything else. And so I just decided to write novels. And then you realize, well, that's actually what you were fit to do. And that's kind of how your life, what your life led up to. But I had, um, you know, gotten an English degree and, um, studied a lot of this stuff. And then, uh, it came time that, uh, I think I'd written like six other what I would call apprentice level novels that each sort of improved a little bit. And in the interim period between those, you know, I would try and find my weaknesses, study on my own. So it was a very conscious thing to say, I'm going to actually take a legitimate swing, which may fail um, entirely, or it might, hit but i'm going to take a swing at um being a real writer like not a genre guy not somebody who shows up to just get published or be famous or something like that to actually contribute something to like the idea of the great conversation or well robert penn warren you know like he he had he lived in a time and had the circumstances to support this idea that we used to have right in the West of the man of letters. And um, I'm definitely not that, like, I'm not even, not even close. Um, But to answer your question, um, I, I very consciously wanted to write something on the one hand that was sort of small. I remember thinking, it's kind of a small story, which in terms of maybe for people who've read the book, it, the time frame is somewhat small, the low, the setting locations. It's not like a massive Victorian novel with um, 60 different characters. It's something much more intimate. But at the same time, I wanted to make that work. I think one of the things I had kept in mind was like, um, a truly literary uh, action film. I didn't really know of anything like that that had been done. Um, and so that was something that I thought, yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting, yeah. You know, I got the impression that in reading it that the there's definitely a lot of similarity to the podcast and your book in that 
like even your i think you have the best intro music of any podcast i love i don't know what that piece is that you play <laughs> at the beginning but that west that western twangy thing something about that i think is just fantastic thank but you the i it's i could almost picture that music in the background when i was checking your book out which uh, i'll tell your audience right now i'm only halfway through it but uh, i will be writing a review once i'm done and uh it's a very interesting book and um and i especially like the fact that it's kind of a semi-collapse environment because I think that is maybe more relevant than if you were to write something about a medieval murder mystery or something, you know, so. Yeah, well, thank you. I hope, I hope that. Yeah, but I, I can hear that song in the background, though, when I'm reading. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. That's just some stuff I made. I, I actually, who is the band? It's, it's like a band that's not around anymore, so I'm pretty sure that they won't ever, like, ask for royalties or anything like that and then i affected it and made some changes to kind of obscure it so that hopefully any algorithm that's crawling you know for um for uh, for licensed yeah, work yeah. won't find it but yeah 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 that's uh but that's great yeah well i appreciate your interest um in terms of you know where people can find you we know that you're the last pirate on twitter and it's corsair 21 is that right yeah 21 c is in charlie right and you we won't press you on the next book when it'll be or what it will be but i will definitely be looking forward to it um I, w I have a bunch of questions, but I will, I will not pepper you with them. Is there anything else that potential readers should know, or maybe people that have read the book um, need to know? You know, I, I tried to make the book pretty self-contained in that hopefully someone can pick it up and just kind yeah. of run with it without having to know any, anything about, you know, my Twitter, goofy Twitter account or having to know anything about any of the real subject matter in there. I'm not sure how well I was able to do that. I think that's for the readers to judge, but, you know, hopefully it is self-contained. I, I will say that if they have an interest, I did try to drop some names, including, you know, historians, James LaFon, Bill Starr, all of those people have written other things. And I encourage them to go to the source uh, to learn more about what these people have to say. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much what I have to say. On the next book, I think what I would just introduce, hopefully, to your audience, uh, the, the subject matters are broader. It's a little bit more group-focused. My king of all things is very individual-focused, except for maybe the leadership section. Uh that I wanted to put in there, but a lot of it is very individual focused about, you know, the, the person's body and their skills and their mind and their, their spiritual aspect. And I want to write something more about groups now. And that's where some of the Spangler thoughts get in there, but you know, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. I'm hoping to have it done next year, but um, I don't want to curse myself either. It's a much larger project and it's a more difficult project than King of all things was, which a lot of King of all things has been, 
tumbling around in my brain for a long time. So, uh, but let me ask you, what do you have? You know, King of Dogs has been out for a little bit longer, I think. Um, what's what's on tap for Mr. Edwards? Um, yeah, King of Dogs took ten years, and um, I I will I won't go with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing. It's just I don't I know that anything I give away. I'm working on three different projects. I hope that one of them will be will be out um maybe early next year and then the other two are completely unknown and so in the in the meantime i will we'll keep doing the warhorse um if you would like to come back if something you know comes up or if you just want to chat you're more than welcome um it's been a pleasure actually speaking with you and uh well thank you Yep, same. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you extending me the invite. And, uh, you know, my view is I was happy to get that invite because I was already listening to War Horse, so, uh, so it's a pleasure. Well, cool. All right. Well, let's leave it there, and I, I'm, I mean that sincerely. If there's any – if you ever want to come back and chat, you know, maybe what we should do uh, – LaFond is tough I, to get that interview. You know, I had to travel – um and then actually like sit in a vehicle with him but that would be cool for the three of us maybe to chat i think <laughs> i'd love yeah i'd yeah. love to do that yeah. i think he would like it too i think um in fact i didn't he did he do a review of king of all things yeah great he did yeah he didn't in fact i was ecstatic that i got the lafon thumbs up so that that was worth more to me than a, a bunch of sales the fact that he that he not only looked at it, but he w- told me he went back to it a couple times and he actually uh, finds a lot of value. in Well, it. He, yeah, he's not the only one and it really is a valuable book. So I think too, it will have a long life for you. You know, um, it, if you wanted to make a side career as an author of whatever, you know, that's a great intro and I definitely recommend it to Warhorse readers. It's right in your wheelhouse um, yeah, I can't, I, I highly recommend it, but, uh, I know that you needed to get go, get going, sir. So I will, we will end it here. And again, you're, you're invited back at any point and I appreciate your time. Well, well thank you much. You have a good day now.